everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast. This is Teaching to the Creed, Module 5.0. We're going to be talking about ethical decisions. Uh, so the learning outcome for this episode is upon completion of this block of instruction, the student will have developed an understanding of ethics, ethical decision-making, how it relates to being a Chief Petty Officer and the Chief Petty Officer's Creed, and then the outcomes of unethical decision-making. The objectives, we're going to analyze and discuss the importance of ethics as it relates to the CPO creed and to the trust given to chief petty officers, analyze and discuss the definition of ethics, discuss how our diversity impacts ethics and how the Navy and chiefs align ethics of all sailors, and discuss the effects of unethical behaviors and decisions within leadership and how it erodes trust and credibility of leadership, and then discuss how an individual chief's ethical failures reflects upon the entire community. The curriculum development references were laying the keel, May 2019, Navy Leader Development Framework version 3.0, May 2019, the Bathsheba Syndrome, the Ethical Failure of Successful Leaders, uh, it's Ludwig and Longnecker, 1993, there will be a hyperlink in the description, and a Navy Times article regarding the Hugh City Chiefs mess meltdown, uh, also hyperlink in the description. So, uh, as always, uh, I'm going to read the excerpt from the creed, but first I just want to let everybody know who I'm talking to about ethical decisions today. So, uh, I've been trying to get her on for a long time, and this is the perfect uh, topic for her. It's uh, Senior Chief Thrasher. She's a good friend of mine uh, via the podcast. We connected through the platform, and she is a command climate specialist on an aircraft carrier. Uh, as soon as we start the actual discussion, she gets into her bio, so I'll let her uh, detail all of that. And then... The excerpt from the Creed for Ethical Decisions is, It is now required that you be the fountain of wisdom, the ambassador of goodwill, the authority in personal relations, as well as in technical applications. Ask the chief is a household phrase in and out of the Navy. You are now the chief. The exalted position you have achieved, and the word exalted is used advisedly, exists because of the service, character, and performance of the chiefs before you. It shall exist only as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards. So great discussion. Really, really happy to have uh, Emily on and hear her perspectives on ethical decision making, especially in relation to her primary duty as a command climate specialist. She has, on top of just having outstanding perspectives on everything that I talked to her about, she has a unique perspective being the overall manager of the Equal Opportunity Program on an aircraft carrier. And it was a great discussion, and I'm really happy we got to have it. So here we go. <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the intro I'm going to record in the future, I will brief uh, who I'm talking to, but just give a quick like background, as much detail as you want to provide, and then we'll go from there. So I am CTNCS Emily Thrasher. I've been in the Navy now for a little over 13 years. I uh, started born and bred as CTN shortly after they opened that as a new rate. I actually, I came in wanting to be an aviation mechanic and then took the ASVAB and they're like, oh, hey, you can't do that. Because you're too smart um, or because. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. Like I scraped <laughs> the CTN scores, uh, okay. uh, but they're like, hey, we have this new sweet job. We can't tell you about it because it's top secret. If you want to work for the FBI or CIA when you get out. Wham. You can totally do that. And I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, like, hey, sounds you can cool. live in Hawaii. I was like, yes, let's do this. Yeah. Because everyone wants to travel, but then right. lo and behold, we don't go anywhere. Yeah. Except the few shore stations <laughs> that we have. Yeah. So I went to 
uh, Nyack, Georgia, Nyack, Hawaii, and then I moved over to Maryland and went to two commands there. Mm-hmm. The sailors that we have right now are just like wicked, wicked smart. But mm-hmm. coming home and playing on a keyboard and getting the ins and out of computers wasn't necessarily my passion. Uh, so once I hit my 12-year mark and had to start thinking about reenlistments and everything else, mm-hmm. I kind of went on the female birthing page and I was like, hey, you know, I love being a chief. I love my sailors. I love mentoring and counseling. And like, that's the core of who I want to be. Yeah. Where can I take this? And another female chief said, hey, why not come in climate specialist? And I was like, what is that? <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> Which yeah. is kind of sad. Uh, that the I, know, I didn't know promoted. what it was until I went to Simeo school. Like I was just a command level Simeo and they started talking about command climate. I'm like, what is a command climate specialist? And even then it sounded like it was mostly civilians or like kind of like how you have an NC at like major commands. But like on a submarine, we have collateral duty career counselors. So it's like that's it's not real to a submariner. I don't know what a command climate specialist is. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Most of the time you're working with the simios anyway. There's only yeah. like 115 of us in the Navy right now. Wow. So it's a very small community. Uh, but I did the interview. The hardest part was getting let go from being a CTN just because yeah. of the way we're manned and all the training and everything that goes into it. Uh, but it ended up working out and I got really lucky and I had some great people supporting me throughout the process. And here I am. So right now I'm stationed on a carrier in Virginia and it's a completely new environment. I was going to say this is your first ship ever. It is. It's crazy. That is wild. I think I'm going to love it. I definitely need a change of speed because you're sitting in like mostly basements with no windows and CTs. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but it's very exciting. And DC hey, we, too. I love DC. I love getting into everything on the ship. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. We don't have any windows either. So it's fine. You, you get used to it <laughs> after a while. Uh, well, awesome. Thank you for being here and your yeah, time. Thanks for having me do this teaching the crease stuff. So, so for everyone that's listened up to this point, as always, I'm going to quickly recap the objectives and then I'll read the excerpt from the creed. So we're going to analyze and discuss the importance of ethics as it re- relates to the creed and what we do as chiefs every day. Uh, define some things in relation to ethics, discuss what unethical behaviors and decision-making looks like, and then how we resolve that and what we do about that going forward as chiefs and as like a community of. So there's that for objectives. So from the excerpt from the creed in relation to ethical decisions, it is now required that you be the fountain of wisdom, the ambassador of goodwill, the authority in personal relations, as well as in technical applications. Ask the chief is a household phrase in and out of the Navy. You are now the chief, the exalted position you have achieved, and the word exalted is used advisedly, exists because of the service, character, and performance of the chiefs before you. It shall exist only as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards. So there's the excerpt. So I'm sure we'll have a ton to talk about. But the first question from the lesson plan is, what does the phrase mean to you individually and as a mess what does this phrase mean to you? Which is, it's a broad, that's a broad question. I would literally it just went is. back and checked. Like it's a broad question. So what does that entire excerpt from, from the, uh, the creed mean to you? Good grief. Okay. Well, I think when we're talking about the exalted position and the increased authority we have, there's so many expectations placed on us mm. as chiefs in the mess from everybody from yeah. juniors and senior leaders alike. And I think that's why, the phrase the chief and ask the chief is so cool. And it's something that we have to live up to because there's so much that goes into it and there's so much behind it. And 
the responsibility that we have first and foremost is to take care of our sailors. And that entails so many things because <laughs> you yeah. have to be so much for every sailor. And I hate, I don't like when people call sailors kids, but on certain I'm levels. I'm terrible. There's... I know <laughs> I do it all the time and I get grief for it, but it's a term. Uh, there's a lot of people that do. Um, it's because they're my kids. I mean, I don't have kids, so they're like my kids. And it's like, I, well, yeah, they I reach think out to me on Facebook. I play. Yeah. I drop what I'm doing and oh my God, what do you need? Well, how can I help? You know, like, so, right. Yeah, Cause you're, you, sometimes you have to be the mom or the dad or yeah. the sister or the mentor or the counselor yeah. or just, you have to be so many things for so many different people. Mm. Um, and I don't, necessarily love the term exalted and i think i'm a little jaded i think i'm a little jaded well so me and doc uh were talking about on we just did uh we recorded character and competence the other day and we were talking about how there it sounds to me like we were talking about the creed and kind of where it came from and how it's structured because that was a lot of what the topic focused on and it doesn't sound like the classic definition of a creed, which was brought like the NSW tech I talked to on another topic kind of pointed that out where it was like, it's not structured in the same way as many creeds are where it's, there's a lot of I statements or we statements and they're, and they're stating the core like beliefs and goals of the organization where ours is like a, a dialogue almost where it's like, it a, is. <laughs> it, and I told him, I told doc, I'm like, look, when I read it, it sounds like the end of someone's really good pinning script, like that they wrote it. And that was like what they were saying to the people being pinned as chief. And somebody was like, man, that's really good. We should use that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's how we ended up with what we have now. But uh, yeah, I hate that it says exalted in there. And I actually looked the word up. Um, and I took some I took some notes where it's like it said I looked the word exalted up and it said placed at a high or powerful level held in high regard. And I'm like, that's not terrible. Like, I'm like, that doesn't sound horrible. I can live with that. (laughs) But then below it, it said, what is an exalted person? It says adjective raised or elevated as in ranked or character of high station, an exalted personage, noble or elevated, lofty uh, an exalted style of writing, which is kind of not applicable. But yeah, it right. was like I that made me feel gross when I read that. It does because like, you talk about being humble and servant leadership and everything else, and it's like, why is this in here? I because don't I feel very humble. I think I we built it. those things. I think we built those things like the humility things on top of a, a faulty foundation. And it's not that I don't think that the creed has value, and there's a lot of things in it that are good. But there's definitely some stuff in it that makes me scratch my head, and that. I'm like, I don't know if we, I don't know if that's what we should be represented by, you know, like it's probably time for an update, but yeah, that word irks me for sure. I do agree. But for the most part, like if, if someone is reading the creed and they mean Mm -hmm. it, that'll, it'll make me tear up depending on how I get goosebumps. Yeah. It's like a, (laughs) it's a weird thing because it's like, yeah, like when you read, there's that and there's power to it. And there's, there's definitely a lot of goodness in it. I feel like it was a great representation for a while, but there's some stuff in it now that I feel like we've outpaced or outgrown that it's time to, you know, like probably reword some of that stuff. Right. Um, yeah. The, and I, cause I, the other part of it that I, I'm not super fond of is that it, it's talking to you and it's talking about you're being, you need to be the fountain of wisdom, the ambassador, goodwill, the authority and personal relations as well as in technical applications which is basically what you said of you got to be everything to everybody all the time. And it's, it's a already a big ask, but I don't think that it talks or we talk enough about 
um, that chief that like relying on the resources and help of others as much as they need to. Like, I know we talk about it during the season, but it's not built into this. It's not built right. into what we're saying is our, like our mission statement. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, I do love that line though. I think out of the whole portion of the creed, the, the two things that stick out to me the most is the being the ambassador of goodwill and the authority mm-hmm. and personal relations. Cause yeah. if you don't know your people, you can't have an yeah. effective team. You can't lead effectively and you can't be versatile. Right. And then it shall only exist as long as you yes. and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards. Yes. Oh, that gets That's me every time. Yep. <laughs> That's my favorite line because I bet you most people kind of gloss over that one where it's like, like, because you look at all the chief misconduct that everybody likes to remind us about. And we were, we were talking about that recently where it was fresh boot chief walks into the mess thinking that only the good, because I'm looking at a slide as I read this excerpt with Carl Bashir and John Finn on it. And it's like, Yes, that's part of our legacy. But what else is part yes. of our legacy? Legacy, right? It's the Hugh City controversy that we're going to talk about later, and it's the chief misconduct you see splash across the cover of the Navy Times. So, like, when you walk in, it's like you're not your slate isn't clean, and you're not resetting your ethical status or your your reputation or your anything the day you put on your fresh pair of khakis and your shiny new anchors. Like, you're starting where we are as, as a mess, like that's the credibility you have. That's the, the belief that baseline level of like belief and trust that sailors have in you that you're starting where we are as a group, not where you personally are. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why it's so critical. Like, I wish we had a formalized mentorship program following season, but uh, every year I want to take the first year chiefs and bring them in and be like, this is how we do it. This is how it's supposed to be and bring all those idealistic chief philosophies out and try to help Mm -hmm. garner them. And I'm not even saying just FYCs. We don't do that enough with first classes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I, we've talked a lot. I, I was talking to Jeff about just involving the first classes in more things. It's like, I'm really, well, I talked to Nick about it on the last podcast too, where it was like just shining light on more, phases of the season where you're just like, well, like, why can't I bring first classes into a lot of those events? Like there are some that need to stay private because people can get vulnerable and emotional and those moments right. should be, should be private, but there's a lot of training and like all kinds of other stuff that it's, why can't they sit in there and, and learn during certain events? Like I, I don't, I don't see any issues with a lot of it. And then um, even like a DRB, Oh my God, you just said exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, put some first (laughs) classes in the back of the room and tell them you're part of the furniture, right? Just don't say a word, just sit here and learn. So that it takes that, we wouldn't, I feel like we wouldn't have to bring them in on to things for season and we could keep that separate if we just did, we allowed them the time to grow and learn prior to and included them in those conversations. Yeah, I wish, I wish we did more of that. And the mess training that exists, which I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a bunch of, there's a whole lesson plan formalized that I don't know if anybody uses it. I'm sure there's probably a couple of unicorns out there that are working their way through the mess training, but it's like, it's built as chief's training where um, a mess is supposed to train itself, essentially. Um, not the See, I haven't concept, seen that. But. And we, we were just talking about this recently too, with how do you adopt different different mess trainings for your commands to try to put a yeah. feeler out but these things aren't necessarily well known yeah it, i was looking for uh like cpo slc curriculum a few years ago and that's how i found mm-hmm. it it was an accident like i found it i downloaded it from 
I think you can get to it on my Navy portal when you go through like the, I forget the links. I, I have it in an email. <laughs> it's like okay. you can get to it through there. I believe it might link you to like the NLIC website and they have it there. I can't remember exactly where you can download it from, but I'm pretty sure it's my Navy portal. And I downloaded it thinking it was like CPO SLC or teaching of the creed or something like that a few years ago. And, and I was like, what is this? And I was like going through it. And it's, I mean, there's like 20, 25 lessons. It's like a whole bunch of, and I don't know how great it is. I didn't spend a bunch of time analyzing it, but I just, I didn't even know it existed until I accidentally found it on my Navy portal. So that tells you how well publicized. Yeah, I definitely want to look into that. Or it's an indicator anyway, and you don't even know what it is. So there you go. So like, it's at least two of us are either clueless or it's not. Well, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, we've talked, I've talked about this this next question several times, but I mean, you'll have a different perspective on it. So I guess it's, it's worth asking is how important is it to you that your seniors and juniors trust you? I think it's critical. And there's several different ways that you go about doing that. Um, But I mean, if you don't have trust from anyone, then you're not going to be effective on any, any level. Uh, You need your sailors to trust you, especially so that the mission can get accomplished. And then you need your seniors to trust you so that you can have the authority to do your job and lead your sailors. Right. Um, But I think I don't like that sometimes you come to a new command and you have to immediately earn the trust first prior (laughs) to doing anything. Yeah. I I wish we all lived in this world where we can come in. I'm going to give you the trust automatically yeah. And then well, we'll work from there. <laughs> interestingly, things along. yeah. Interestingly, if we were good stewards of our organization, you would, right? Like mm-hmm. I was that, uh, NSW tech that I talked to, he was like, I used to look at chiefs as exemplars and I used to provide them with a baseline level of trust and belief because they were chiefs and just un- not question whether or not I could trust them. And then I, he got burned so many times that he doesn't do that anymore. He judges each, each person on their individual character and merits, which is what you just described. Like you have to show up and earn his trust now. And it's because right. as an organization, we're doing a bad job of establishing the reputation the mess would need to create that. Like, because we're not just you and me, we're chiefs. So it's like when I walk into an organization and they don't know me, they but they do know I'm wearing a senior chief anchor. Then they're like, oh, OK, here's another one of these guys. You know, what I mean? and they're based on all of their contextual historical experience, they're judging me as well. They should. Right. Yeah. But it's like it puts us in that position where I don't have the the trust and respect and whatever that I need to. So I have to spend a lot of time establishing it. And I I think in hu- in human relationships, you there's a certain amount of that that's going to happen no matter what. And that's fine. But. I almost think at the, we're at a place where we're handicapped right now. You know what I mean? Like, you walk I think we in did that to ourselves. Though. We did. I, th- I think we, we already had the establishment of that trust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then over time, we degraded it. And yeah, that's why that one line in the creed gets me every time. And it makes me so sad. It's one of those things that just kind of breaks my heart. And yeah. you want to find all the ways in the world to, to yeah. improve the mess and get our good name back. And it's 100%. really hard to climb back up that mountain. It, it is. And so you end up bearing the weight of the poor decisions of everyone else. So yes, um, I'm going to read the discussion thing, which I think we probably hit a lot of it. Lack of trust can erode your ability to influence people. Typically, removal of trust only allows us to draw on power authority of our position or billet to influence. So essentially like coercive authoritative power um, and all our means 
diminish or is or are removed completely. A leader with only one influence tactic is a poor leader. In the case that we attempt to influence those above us, officers, senior chief, senior CPOs, a lack of trust removes all means to influence because I don't have that legitimate authority over people that outrank me. And so you end up in a place where the trust is removed and you're ineffective as a leader. It drives me nuts. We're, we spent so much time on trust leading up to this point that I don't want to keep beating a dead horse. But yeah, I, I agree with you that the organizationally is probably the piece that we haven't talked about as much of. And that baseline level of respect and trust only shall exist as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards. And it's 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 really simple. But it's apparently not that easy. So. <laughs> but not. <laughs> yeah. It is, but isn't, right? So yeah. I, I wouldn't have a job as a command climate specialist if it was. <laughs> if and it as was a so chief, simple, I think, yeah. yeah, we we definitely be missing a large per- portion of our workload if we didn't have these yeah. issues. So yeah. So uh, definition of ethics: moral principles that govern a person's behavior or the conducting of an activity. Uh, rules of behavior based on ideas about what is morally good and bad, and the moral correctness of specified conduct. Do we all come into the Navy with the same ethics, and then where do our values, morals, and ethics come from? So definitely not, which I think is yeah. part of what makes the organization beautiful. It's a weird word to use, but I, I kind of love how diverse we are. Yeah. I just wish everyone was more accepting of everyone's ideas. Um, but no, so a large part of uh, training for command climate specialists involve topics on socialization. And there's so much that goes into our upbringing and forming our character. And yeah. we have we have so much developed, like we're already developing our own ideas of right and wrong by ages four and five. And then by 10, a large portion of our personality and character is already developed. And but then, you know, by the time we hit our, our mid early twenties, we're kind of solidified into yeah. the things that we value and who our characters are at their core unless there's some type of significant emotional event that changes that Hmm. um so it's interesting to it's interesting to see how people come into the navy um and boot camp kind of does that a little bit right we're not changing who you are at your core but you're adopting these organizational standards and a new ethos and new ethics based off what our organization deems right and wrong and for some, it's more of an adjustment than others. Yeah, I'd say they'd they'd be like competing sets of ethics, and that that person has to decide which one they're gonna they're gonna go with. I guess, like, I yeah, I, definitely not the same. But like, our values, morals, and ethics all for me all came from my parents primarily, and then just mm-hmm. ex- like the experiences, as you said, like from probably from 17 or 18 to through now I haven't lived at home. Uh, I went to college a little early and then joined the Navy after September 11th. And here I am. Um, but I haven't, I haven't been at home within arm's reach of my parents since I was 17, I think 18. I think I was 17. Can't remember, but what same, same. So developing through from 18 into my early mid twenties. It's like that, that all happened in the Navy and at college. And so it's like that all kind of was me figuring it out as I went. And then the Navy installing their system of ethics and morals and values into me, which weirdly, like I was the type of guy that I was attracted to the military because of those values, morals and ethics. So it was kind of like they, a lot of them ran parallel anyway. So I think it just like, 
turn the volume up on me a little bit. I, like, I don't know that it, there was much that competed except for a lot of the stuff I talk about on this podcast where it's like, <laughs> like I remember back then the way that I was treated at the beginning, I didn't think was right. And the way that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happened through the first enlistment that yeah, I, you yeah, know, I, I learned wish, a lot. I wish a lot of bad leaders, leaders had more, had more training on all of this because you don't yeah. realize the type of impact that you can have on your first and second term sailors mm-hmm. coming up into, I mean, they come in as adults, but kind of growing into themselves kinda. over time. Yeah. Kind of. I like, you, cause I know you don't agree with me, but like the, <laughs> as far as calling them kids, but like when they, those kids show up to my submarine, they are still that like, I, I know they're legally adults, but it's like, good grief. Like I was sitting down with an LS one day. I mean, back then he was an SK, I think. But it was like I was trying to explain to him how credit cards worked. And this kid thought it was like a gift card. But he didn't think he didn't think he had to pay the money back. And I'm like, come on, man. How do you not know this? But it's, you know, that's what you're doing. It's like you're it's like a finishing school for adults. It's like I'm finishing parenting these kids. It um, is. But there's also so many general assumptions made that every you know e1 through e3 that comes into you is going to be that fresh 18 year old and that's not always the case that's not always the case yeah i i 100 concede that it's a case-by-case thing and that like because on my first boat one of the guys i uh same rank same like level of experience but he was like 29 or something and it's so it's like it's a whole different set of life experiences before ever being that e3 in the navy so like we're not in the same place at all. The leadership development and the way that I interact with that sailor, like what that sailor needs is going to be completely different. And I'm going to interact with them in different ways and approach my interactions with them differently. Like I, I found that like when I'm in, in like interactions as a leader with a sailor that did join later, it's like the, you get a lot further by just treating them like they're a grown up. It's almost like, like, I think we do with everyone that comes in. I agree too. I agree with that also, but I don't know, man. It, like, there's different scenarios that happen where I've had sailors that needed me to be a parent to them, and then I've had sailors that needed me to treat them like an adult, and I've had sailors that have been all across the spectrum in between. Yeah, 100%. and it's just a I spend the time evaluating individually what each one of them needs, and then trying to give it to them. And sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I don't. But I try real hard to uh, to figure that out as I go, and and a lot of it. Because then you branch out just from like the maturity level and the number of years on this earth to like what you said, like where they get the values, morals and ethics from, like their background and like how, where they grew up, how they grew up, what was their mm-hmm. culture like, what religion, what what everything, like what kind exactly. of life experience did they have during those years before the Navy? Because that's going to affect how they receive me in every possible way. So it's just mm-hmm. like it's super complex. And yeah, I wish... I mean, obviously, I wish that we spent a lot more time on this stuff with leaders, especially like on their way up so that because inter- I think a lot of the negative interactions I had was with E6 and below. Like, I know a lot of people during their first term talk about uh, the chief that like ruined their first tour or whatever, like the chief that was the tyrant in their in their life. But for me, it was like first classes, second classes, like I didn't have enough access even on a submarine to a ch- and I didn't have a chief, so that's part of it for the first three oh, that's years. Yeah, so on submarines, the divisions are so small that the LCPO billet in supply gets filled by a first class a lot. So I had like a, a an SKC 
or, or an LSC nowadays. Um, but they would they only they still uh, to this day try to maintain one chief in the ch- in the supply department because we're all perpetually undermanned. And so right. they're like, well, if we can get one chief, then at least supply has a chief. And then so if I need a chief, I can go to the LSC and that's my chief. Do you Is think that, that we'll use your term kids <laughs> vary <laughs> when it comes to different communities? Sure. Yeah, I it, they have to. I can't imagine that they don't, especially once they get some experience in that community. I definitely noticed a difference between like so the the most exposure that I got to that type of uh, like a, a, a service member, I'll say, because there was more than just sailors there was when I was at the A school because we we're in a building with every food service school in the military. So you had Marines, Air Force, okay. Navy, Army. So it was like the same but different like there's definitely a lot of commonality but then there was a lot of variance as well where culturally they had been indoctrinated into a different branch of service with like a slightly different value system and a slightly different like this is how we do things and a different uniform and a different whatever and so um we de- there was definitely like some camaraderie but then there was definitely some competition and there was like some well, they're the Air Force, so meh. like, <laughs> like we used to <laughs> even just like me, like I was good friends with all of the NCOs, but I'd march the students up to the barracks and the whole Air Force would be out. They called it. Um, and so we'd be marching up from class because we just got done working on like the Air Force and they were out there. Oh, they called it final formation. That's what they called it. Uh, so they were out front doing final form and we would march up. And I would purposely be loud. Like I'd march up and just get them like hyped up with cadence. And then we'd stop (laughs) and I'd start yelling over the NCOs at the students to get them hyped up. And then I'd make them do the Sailor's Creed or something just so they drown out the Air Force. And then (laughs) that's fun. (laughs) It was awesome because then they would like, yeah, because there was like 500 of them and like 150 of us. So if they were able to get their airmen as hyped, like they could drown us out pretty easily. Um, but they usually didn't because our our kids were rabid. Like I got them so hyped, and then uh, I you know go over and joke around with the the Air Force NCOs, and it was fun. It was cool, and like you'd yell air power, and they'd get them all hyped up. And nice. But it, at the same time, yeah, I, I would say that there's like definitely differences um, across communities because we had we interacted with some other people on on that base but the, primarily for the sailors it was all cs's and then there's a handful of other like instructors on that base and stuff and then but yeah there was army food service and then they had like army ordinance so i had a bunch of eod ncos that were friends of mine from the gym and so you could see like they would say like the culture here is different from the rest of the army so like i there's definitely variance is what i'm saying like i i think that i guess across communities like i had a lot of surface instructors there and i noticed a pretty a pretty large difference it's there's just it's the the experiences so like when a submarine sailor comes up through their first four years they learn a lot about operating independently and like being energetic self-starters and and getting getting the job done no matter what and and then like i feel like on surface ships especially large platforms there's a lot of ability to kind of hide if you want to like, or fall between the cracks or throw bodies at the problem because there's so many of them. And so you get some, some sailors that like based on even just the scale of the organization, right. Where it's like, I had CS ones that were LPOs of like 300 to 500 sailors. And it's like, so there's a lot of things that they had kind of promoted past doing. 
And then they became an instructor at a command of 25 staff members. I'm like, yeah, you're oh, going to do man. a whole bunch of stuff you didn't do before. And I'm not <laughs> going to care how you feel about it because I'm a submariner. Like as a senior chief, I hump food like on the on the submarine when we're loading food. Yes, I'm in a supervisory capacity and I'm coordinating and I'm running around doing things. But when we get a lot of stuff down on the submarine and the best thing for me to do with my hands is help them stow food, I'm stowing food. I take my blouse mm-hmm. off and I, I'm humping cases of food to the flavor of you would think I was an E4 if I didn't have a khaki belt on. And so it's like on the flip side of that, I think there's communities where like some a first class would scoff at that. And, and I'm not saying it's common, right? And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of sailors in those communities that would 100% de-blouse and help their sailors out because I think that's what good leaders do. But it's just there's a culture in different communities where it's like there's just different norms and different expectations and they're brought up differently. And so surface sailors, a, I, I don't I, know that I yeah. love it. I, yeah, <laughs> it I don't it either. Yeah, it makes it hard to lead when you have so many different commu- competing standards from yeah. the different communities, too. So, you know, yeah. we have our our sailors creed, our core values, our Navy ethos. Right. Um, since we're talking about organizational ethical standards. Mm-hmm. But it's not the same across the Navy. And when you blend those yeah. communities together, I think it gets even harder to try yeah. to have a controlled environment. And that's what I was. I talked to uh, Nick on the last fire in the hole about that, where it was he was asking me like he, he was at a training where it was a bunch of EOD people with the ex. I think it was like the NECC admiral asked the question where does your loyalty lie with EOD or with uh, the Navy and they're or yeah, like EOD question. or chiefs. That's what he said. EOD or the chiefs community. And he's every one of them said EOD. He was like, I don't know that that's, I don't know that I like that. Like I want you to be, I want a unified NECC command and not everybody at NECC is EOD, right? right. They have a whole bunch of other functions and types of sailors that are in and out of NECC or they're always part of it or they're what, or they're just different different warfare communities so he's like i don't know that i want that i understand that you have a strong loyalty to that but it's like you're you should be a sailor first and then you should be those subcategories which no matter how passionate any one of us is about any of them we're sailors first and it's we talked a lot i've talked in the past about and then nick was talking with me about marines and like how yes they get their EGA and it's like, doesn't matter what community or what MOS exactly. or what, whatever, they're Marines first. And they, that EGA is a huge deal. It's like when we get our anchors and it's like, well, or when I get my submarine dolphins, like why, why, why did I have to wait? I got my dolphins like a year after boot camp. So why, why did I wait a year to feel that feeling? Why, why did I wait, you know, nine and a half years to feel mm-hmm. that feeling again when I pinned on anchors? Like, why didn't I have that downloaded into me? in boot camp where instead of handing me a Navy ball cap, they had structured it in a way that whatever the ACE thing or whatever they decided to do, where it's like a pin or it's like a, a, a something like, a I don't know. They built it into it. Cause it's not like the EGA is, is more than a symbol, right? It's like, it's just that it's symbolic of them becoming a Marine, but they built it into their training pipeline in a way that that's part of their fucking identity when they come out the other end of that. Exactly. Like I have, and I have I'm so envious were, of that. Yeah, me too. I like I have uncles that were Marines in Vietnam that I go home for like family reunions and stuff. And like my uncle Gary has a freaking Marine haircut still. And he's like mm-hmm. 70 <laughs> and he's like still giving me crap about being a squid and like all that other. You know what I mean? Like 
he still gives me a hard time. And my dad was in the Navy in Vietnam, so he gives him a hard time. And it's like there he's a still a Marine. It's still in his DNA. And it's just, God, I'm so, so, so jealous of the way uh, yeah, that they and when it comes to being a chief, we have to have so much of our heritage and knowledge and keep that and we're passed down the knowledge, you know, as the chief's right. mess. A Marine <laughs> fresh out of boot camp can call off the top of their head all these names of other Marines that have oh, yeah. for other Marines. And like, yeah. that's just commonplace pride that they have mm-hmm. straight out the gate. And I, I'm so yep. jealous. I wish there was a way to tailor that. And I don't know if it's too think, late for the Navy. I think there is. It would be like a a breeding out process where it would take a long time. Like it would take a generation, essentially Mm -hmm. a Navy generation to to get it. If you took a a Kool-Aid drinking true believer and some of his friends like me and put us at RTC and just said, make it happen. And like we had some Marine friends there and some Mm -hmm. whoever that were helping (laughs) us model it that right. We would send these hoo machines out into the fleet and then they would get beat down by the existing culture. And so it's like, would it stick? I don't know. Like, I think there's a lot of, yeah, I think there, but I think there's a lot of other things that would need to happen besides just at RTC. Like, I think it would have to be like a a Navy wide thing where the MCPON is getting behind it and pushing and the fleets are all on board and we're, we're sending training teams out to, to reculture and reprogram chiefs messes. And we're, we're doing, we're emphasizing leadership development and education and heritage. And it's like, you're, you're, making it a priority and that's what i think it's super simple to see that it's not a priority for us and there are moments where we take the time to acknowledge important things like they just named uh the newest uh, virginia class submarine to roll off the line the uss barb which to any submariner on god's green earth like retired veteran whatever when they announced that you got goosebumps because the barb is like it's the boat like it's the galloping ghost of the chinese coast man it's it's admiral flucky who's got the most decorated submariner world war ii ever saw like they blew up a train they like sunk all these sub like he is the guy he's like submariner rambo and his boat was the barb and so when they named that boat the barb it was just like everybody rejoiced and so it's like there's moments where they do that like i got so hyped when they named an aircraft carrier after Dory Miller. Every cook in the Navy was just mm-hmm. like, yes, <laughs> we finally got one. Even though we have the Pinckney and the and the Harmon, like their ships named after cooks. So a lot of people don't know Pinckney and Harmon were cooks, but but and it makes there was me a, sad though. I want to share in this enthusiasm right. with my fellow shipmates, and it's hard right. to connect on those levels. Who was the who is the um, female CT senior chief that died in combat? Shannon Kent. Shannon yep. Kent. Yeah. I thought they were talking about naming a ship after her. They had. And then the conversation died out. <sighs> That's criminal. But that would be an example of it. Like that. Will, like they named a DDG the Shannon Kent. You'd be. Yes. Like, Woo! <laughs> like, Listen, the, the, it'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. We would be rejoicing. Yeah. Was, she was actually at our command at the time. Okay. Uh, we would be rejoicing. Yeah, I think that would, that would be, be awesome. There was that, a lot of people against it, though. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it offline. We don't, we don't need, need to get into that. <laughs> we don't need to get into any, any. Yeah, I that kind of stuff, like, because I, <laughs> I'm super into it, and I'm like, I'm passionate about it, and I think there are there are a cross section of chiefs and whoever else that could 
could do the training. You know what I mean? Like I talk about it in relation to CS stuff all the time where it's like we could be really well-trained, classically trained culinary artists. Like it is possible. I have Mm -hmm. a very fancy culinary degree from a really good school. I'm, I'm what you would call air quotes, classically trained. And so I can do a lot of things on board a submarine that most CSSCs in the Navy or CSSs can't do unless they're classically trained, right? It's not like it's unachievable and I'm like got some weird training. It's like unless you went to a civilian culinary school and got classically trained, you're not going to be able to do those things unless you're so passionate about food service that you like bought all the books and did it in your free time, which there are. I've met sailors like that. So there are people like me or like a lot of a lot of CSs in the enlisted aid community would be great at it. That could if you just made the decision to prioritize culinary training and you put guys like me and some of these other people in charge of training or which I've been championing forever and no one will ever listen to me is contracting out the culinary part of the training to a culinary school until generationally we have a whole bunch of CSs with the experience to be a school instructors that have that classical training. Like you just contract out to a culinary school out in town, send them there for 90 days. Like they will come to the ship with such great training that all this Navy standard core menu crap where you're getting this Stouffer's baked lasagna and all this heat and serve garbage that no one's happy with. Like I don't, no one's happy with that. And (laughs) and like I, they're not. So I mean, go on the internet, go troll some of the meme sites for five seconds. Like no one's happy with it. And it's like, you can't, it's hard to, to blame any of the CSs that it's like, if they don't have the opportunity to get classical culinary training in their own time or to just expand the freedom in a professional kitchen to experiment on their own time, they're never going to have the skills that you want them to have. And so it's like, it drives me nuts, but it's like you could there are people out there that could do it. And just like the heritage and building that type of pride into our culture and DNA, like mm-hmm. there are people out there that want to do it and that have the skills and knowledge and experience to do it. You just got to put those people in the right place and make it a priority. And I just that's the problem is that it's not a priority. It's like, well, the Navy's preserving democracy right now. So what's <laughs> why do we need to do all those things? And it's just like. Right. I yeah. think the same I, yeah, we went for season so, two. <laughs> off, we, off the beaten path. We went so off topic, yeah. <laughs> which is fine. I mean, we did, but we didn't. Like, we just spent a lot of time on that one, which is fine. It's fine. <laughs> so um, really quickly, the just one of the things that I have to read off the IG, the Navy recognizes we are diverse, and we kind of touched on that. Uh, the Navy builds tools and training that aligns us all with the ethics, and it's got examples, Oath of Enlistment, Sailor's Creed, CPO Creed, Charge of Command, Oath of Office, and Navy Ethos. In the end, it is important to any organization that its people all understand the same right and wrong, right? And, and that's what you were just talking about. Is like, I don't know that we do because of the variance between communities all right i don't actually like this bullet point because i feel like it leaves so much out sure we have all of these things in our arsenal to utilize but we don't promote them we don't yeah and that's what i wrote on the notes was not nearly enough time is devoted to educating sailors and ethics name one sailor that can recite the navy ethos or whom you've had an in-depth conversation with regarding ethics and it's like ethics yeah ethics like the difference between just normal like morality and ethics was not made apparent to me until the fat Leonard scandal scandal broke. It became a big thing in the supply core because that's what it was kind of focused on. 
mm-hmm. was like the moving of supplies and all like it, so it's the supply core community became like super focused on ethics and then the senior enlisted academy was the first time we talked when i was doing the online portion we went through the encyclopedia of ethical failures and we talked a lot about ethics but that's another thing that prior to really yeah i just like that i think that i'm so excited to go to the senior enlisted academy and i think they're doing trying to do great things with the enlisted leadership development but we don't have this at the beginning and i think Mm -hmm. i'm very fortunate right now my commanding officer loves to promote the eo program loves to talk about dignity and respect and everything falls into that do we call out the navy ethos no when it comes to the sailor creed i feel like most of the time we just kind of say that blindly and it it has lost meaning for a lot of people which i find really sad um but if you have that's part of our job right that's part of our responsibility as individuals to promote these things and i think I think we get lost in it sometimes because the easy answer is always, well, you're a div chief, you're a department chief, yeah. get, get together with your divo and, and train your sailors on these things. Well, if you yeah, want training yeah. on it. <laughs> it's like, it, well, well, wait and a minute. Yeah. The, okay. So get me started on command delivered training. Cause the, that being any kind of a, a proposed solution for leadership development and education, which I, I would contend that like ethics and all that stuff falls within that umbrella it's like i have an impossible amount of stuff that i need to get done in, including somehow finding time to sleep and take care of myself and my family while i'm operational on a submarine right like right now sure i got all kinds of time and i spend a lot of it doing this podcast but like if you go back to when i was on a boat i recorded a lot of those in my car when i was half asleep like <laughs> i did this because i'm i'm a zealot like i'm maniacal about this stuff but it's like I don't have time to even just trying to get PO indoc done back when it that was the requirement before frocking, mm, blah, blah, yes. blah. It's like I couldn't get half of the the time that was supposed to be allotted scheduled. We did it in one day every time. And me and another senior chief would try to provide robust training. But it was just like, you're not providing me the time. And then to even be able to do that one day of training, it's like I'm sacrificing a bunch of other stuff right now. Like I should be auditing paperwork. I should be conducting inventories. I should be stowing things. I should be training my division. I should be doing a gazillion other things Mm -hmm. that I'm neglecting so that I can make sure you have some kind of leadership development training, which isn't enough. And I know it's not enough going in, but I'm like, well, it's better than nothing, but it's like, so now I'm behind and it's just like, like, it's, I think you need the right type of people to do it too. Like there has to be a certain level of, understanding and care that goes into that type of training when you're doing no kidding leadership training yeah like you have to be enthusiastic and motivated otherwise you're not getting any points across and it's just a check in the box right and i think it i'm a big proponent of it's got to be you got to be removed from the environment that you're in if like if you're doing it and you're part of an operational command or even just a shore command where you got a lot of demands on you it's like you should be removed from that environment and be tad to this this course so it's all you're focused on if we care about fixing the leadership development and education problem that exists and it exists and and if it's not that's not apparent to someone they're not paying attention then you got to remove them from their environment so all they're doing is focusing on that thing and i think the other services do it well whether or not a junior soldier airman would tell me that the leadership development education that they get in those schools is the greatest thing ever you get it 
and you get it away from the flight line and whatever. I don't know what the army does, like the grinder, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You, you do it away from that. You get sent to a school where you're in a classroom and that's all you're doing and you get to focus on that. That in and of itself is something to be thankful for because here we are completely devoid of that. And so it's like, you're not, I don't care how many PowerPoint plans we push out and say, command, deliver this. Like it's not going to work unless they have the, they have the ability to focus on just that and to, to get robust training from instructors or facilitators whose only job is that. Right. Because like, again, getting somebody like me or you or whoever that's super busy and has 10 million other things to do and you're going to put me in a room and and tell me to facilitate this training for five days or whatever. It's like, come <laughs> um, on, man. I, I get would it, do it every no. time. <laughs> I would, too. I would, too, because it needs to be done and because I'm passionate about it. But is my mind elsewhere? Are they getting 100 percent of what I could give them? I hope so. I hope I have that switch in my head and I try to do that. Like when I'm doing the podcast, I try to do that when I'm interacting with sailors that are, like just need mentorship, uh, whatever. But am I always not thinking of the thing I need to do after that conversation? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I hope not, but I don't know. Yeah, it's very tedious and very easy to get stretched thin. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the Bathsheba syndrome. So I'm just going to get into the actual slides where it's a, it's a biblical story which depicts how power can corrupt our ethical decision-making ability um and it's that i linked an article i'm going to double check this link to make sure it works because you had trouble with it but if worst case scenario i'll upload it on the website and it'll be a different link when you actually download this outline but there is a link in the show to show notes and the description to the original article written by the people that studied the stuff about the bathsheba syndrome and it explains it in relation to uh, leaders having difficulty with handling success versus like the what what you would normally think that it would be. So uh, King David began as a shepherd, humble beginnings like us. He killed the warrior Goliath and rose to power and became the king. He was charismatic, just and a very high moral character. Even though he was a great man, temptation and desire for the wife of one of his generals, Bathsheba. Uh, that's not the general's name. That's the wife's name. Uh, resulted in his unethical decision to sleep with her, which resulted in her pregnancy. In attempts to cover up his actions, which he knew were not ethical, he brought the general back from campaign and attempted to have him sleep with her in a ruse to allow him to believe that the child was his own. When the general refused because there was a code that uh, you can't sleep with your spouse while you're on campaign, King David had him sent to the front lines, which resulted in the general's death. David then took Bathsheba as his own. So first question, although we do not become kings like David, we can, I hate this, I I hate that they compared us to kings, but although we do not become kings like David, we can relate to his story in that we start from low ranks or humble beginnings and rise to authority, CPOs. And at times we can be tempted to use this authority to make unethical choices. Can you think of any examples? (laughs) I can. I can think yeah. of quite a few examples. Uh, <laughs> Let's do it. I think where a lot of this stems from, though, before getting into specific examples, it's harder yeah. when you have personal relationships, especially within the mess or the wardroom or whatever the case may be. And it kind of stems back to the it's going to be hardest to lead your peers mentality because it really is. And I can think of a lot yeah. of uh, decisions that have been hard for me as a chief towards junior sailors, but the mm. hardest ones have always come when it's 
dealing with my peers. So I had one scenario uh, back in a leadership training school and we were mixed with different branches mm. and civilians. And it's the type of environment too. So we were very specifically at a school teaching leadership and how to be ethically sound right? and all of these other things. And there's this, this E8 select in a different branch um, that came up and was like, we were, we were in a tight knit group. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to go back a little bit. We have like mini groups of 15 to 20 people. Okay. So over the course of the training, we got really close. And I was with like five other NCOs. I was one of the lowest ranking people there still a chief at the time. And this individual said that they smoked pot over the weekend when they went to visit their family. <laughs> I'm sitting there wondering first, like, is this really happening? Did you just yeah. say this out loud? Did you say this out loud in yeah. front of six other senior leaders while we're here right now in this place? Um, and I had to marinate on it for a little bit. And this yeah. was the first time being a chief that I was challenged because you always hear like, oh, you're going to have a hard time with these things. Can you correct someone? And it's like, oh, no, can I do it? Yeah. Uh, and it took me a full two days. Um, I'm a little embarrassed, but not ashamed to say that. I, and I, had to I, reach out. I think I would have probably <laughs> I, it probably would have taken me a second to like I would have had to think about like just because I feel like you almost have to unless somebody was in danger as it like, you know, what I mean, unless there was some reason there was a clock on it. I almost feel like that, I don't know, like the person is owed that moment of pause just to make sure that what you're doing is the right thing. Like, or that, I don't know if it's the person so much as it's the, like just the gravity of the situation and the impact of your decision to report that. It's like just making sure. Cause I like, I'm sure I could dream up a scenario where maybe I would let it slide, but not that like, not like right. somebody using <laughs> drugs, but like, you know I mean, like somebody, I don't know. Like, I'm sure you could dream up some kind of a scenario where I might look the other way. I don't, I don't know. I, maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, yeah I, don't I just know what it would giving be it yet. that moment. Yeah. <laughs> giving it that moment to like, make sure, like, I almost feel like if nothing else, you owe it to yourself to not put yourself in a position where you you ended someone's career for something that you might regret. This one seems pretty clear cut, but it's still, there's like that. There's a lot of gravity to that decision right, to does, make that report. Uh, you, yeah. And then going back to the human factor, right? You have a single parent yeah. with a child. This yeah. is their career yeah. and this is right. They that's have. the part. That's the part that I'm like, for the hell <laughs> I feel like, uh, it's it, I, I would know already what I had to do, but I think I'd still give it 24 hours where I would need to marinate on it. And, and, yeah, you you, you yeah. know what you need to do. I called a couple different mentors because I need like I needed a hype session <laughs> and I needed because having that first initial conversation yeah. like, hey, when you said that, it really bothered me. And oh, by the way, I have to go tell someone now. <laughs> like, yeah. Gearing yeah. up to have that conversation isn't fun for anyone. And one of the questions I was asked was is it really that big of a deal? And is this the hill you want to die on? Wow. And I, it took me a while <laughs> to marinate on that. And I was, wow. I was both offended and both like, yeah, wait a minute. Would, if, if, if someone's yeah. asking me this and they're someone I consider a mentor, like, is I this mean, the hill I want to die on? <laughs> but at the end of the day, make, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not something that, you know, there's, there's no question at the end of the day, you just kind of, yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't do it. Maybe they were asking you that thinking they knew the answer was yes. But I'm like, I, look, 
I, At the time, I, I don't think it was. It was more of a like, uh, yeah. Well, it's then just maybe re- <laughs> maybe reconsider them as a mentor. Holy crap! Like, I would look at it like uh, I'm not going to be able to sleep at night if I don't because exactly, and that's what it I'm going to be telling people. If this was if the situation was flipped and a couple of E fives were sitting around a campfire and someone said that and then this E5 came to you as a mentor and asked you that question. Like, what would you say? You know what you would say and you know what the right answer is. So you know what you need to do. It just took you a minute to do it. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to sleep not, but I, you, there's still the, you're a human being and that's, that's another human being that made a mistake and that who the consequences of that mistake are going to be far reaching and harsh. So it's not easy to, to destroy someone's life effectively if if that's what happens through the the not like the article 15 or whatever the right the and then you comes, so. you have to compete with those those individual standards which yeah. you know for me in high school i'm not going to say i never did drugs i experimented i did some dumb stuff and the navy did change part of that core to where you know now i i believe that it's truly something that's wrong and something i don't need to do yeah. But you have those clear cut community standards that say, no, this is clearly wrong. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Because you have to report it. But it's not easy. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. And it shouldn't be uh, if you're I think if you're doing leadership right, it, it should not be an easy thing to do. But like having the courage to still do it is just a marker of a good leader. Go ahead. I had another conversation recently to uh around this topic and regarding qrbs because rankings is always something that's a topic of contention when it comes to every rank honestly and then are you going to be the chief that goes in the room and you know you're influential and you have certain sailors that are up for top ep slots top mp slots are you going to question one sailor the same way that you're going to question another so if you know Let's just say you're the simio and you know that this one first class is going to get an EP spot that didn't follow the EO program guidelines and wasn't present or involved. And you're going to call that sailor out, but are you going to question every other sailor that you may not know to put up the best candidate, which is what we are supposed to do, Mm -hmm. or are you going to use that influence to drive the rankings? Yeah. And that's something that I, I've, I go back and forth in my head because like, when I'm in a mess, I know that I'm an influential voice, right? Especially at my last command because I was the most senior guy there, not named Cobb. Like I, I was very influential when I was in a room having a conversation, but at the same time, like knowing I had that influence, I was sitting in a ranking board and watching people try to promote a sailor that was theirs that they just it was like they were fighting for an ep because it was their sailor and there was an ep to fight for not because their sailor deserved an ep and that bothers me a lot Mm -hmm. because when i sit at a ranking board my sailor gets ranked exactly where they should be ranked based on the competitiveness of that peer group and what they did during that reporting period to the effect of i've had other chiefs go Hey, go ahead and brief your guy. I'm like, nope, we're still talking about EPs. He's not ready for that. And they look at me like I got 10 heads and I'm just like, <laughs> no, he's not. I'm not giving someone an EP because there's an EP to give. That's insane. It doesn't make sense. And that's how we end up with people that aren't ready for the next pay grade when they get promoted or they just aren't fit to be in that leadership position. But it happens all the time. 
and truth and reporting. Like that's how you end up with the right people in the right place. And so. Right. And I, I do think that falls under the realm of making ethical decisions because integrity definitely falls within that, but we have no standardized QRB process. That's the other part of it too. When it comes to promoting (laughs) these values and standards, it's, it's going to be what you're taught. Yeah, I was just railing on about this the other day because the, the way our command is currently structured, they're about to do E6 rankings. And the way our command is structured right now is there's a lot of sailors. It's most of the junior sailors at the command are on a 24-hour schedule where like, I couldn't pick probably, so I'm trying to think how many, we probably have 15 first classes. I couldn't pick 10 of them out of a lineup. Like I, I just, because they're never, I never see them. Like even mm-hmm. when I'm on duty, which is like once a month, twice a month where I've got like a phone and I go home. It's that kind of a short duty duty, but like I'll, I'll come into the, yeah, I'll come into the, (laughs) I'll come into the building and like they'll, they're the ones that let you in so that you can then unlock the building and do the opening procedures and all that stuff. And like, I'll see sailors I've never seen before. And I'll like, I'll talk to them and, and, you know, shoot the breeze and ask them some questions kind of, or like I have to go check message traffic and do some other things. So I go out, I get the keys from them. So I'll go to their space and hang out with them for a little bit if I can. But it's one of those things where it's like, I have like a, a superficial interaction with them and that's the only time I'll ever see them. And then they're like sending out a, a spreadsheet saying, Hey, rank the E sixes. I'm like, how, like, how am I going to make an educated evaluation on any of these sailors when I couldn't pick them out of a crowd, let alone talk, talk intelligently about their performance over the last 12 months. So I'm like, I, I grabbed our, our SEL, um, whom it's, I'm about to relieve. God help me. Um, but and I was just like, why are we still doing it this way? Like I brought it up last year and then obviously I had some misadventures over the last eight months of my life where I wasn't at work, but like I brought it up when we ranked E6s because it happened right after I checked in and I just kind of, oh yeah, we're doing a ranking board. I guess I'll go hang out. I don't know anybody, mm-hmm. but see how you guys do business. And they had used a spreadsheet to where everybody got to rank everybody's first classes one through whatever. And there was like a math formula that like averaged out the scores and yep, they I've fell where that. they fell. And I'm like, what? So your vote's the same as mine who's in the position to be like the honest evaluator of their performance like i'm their raider like i'm their senior raider and you're telling me that i'm I, my vote is the same as the guy who can't pronounce her name like get out of here like this doesn't make any sense so i argued against it and i was like why don't we prepare a package like you're going up for a board like you guys fill out a summary thing and have like their brag exactly. sheet on there and their last eval and any significant events and blah 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 so that I can make an intelligent evaluation of the sailor and they just ignored me. And then this year I flipped out. I was just like, we're not doing this again. And I grabbed the, cause he's like an, he's a, a master chief. That's like, he's just sitting in as the SEL until I'm healthy. Cause the other guy's leaving and he wanted to get some exposure because he's going to go be a command master chief eventually. And he just wanted to, he's a nuke. So he wanted to get exposure to some of the Navy stuff that he programs and stuff that he hasn't dealt with in the past. And, um, he's a good That's buddy cool. of mine and great dude. And so like when I came, I came at him and I'm like, Hey man, I'm here to start a fight about uh, E6 rankings. He's like, okay, let's do it. And so I taught, I told him, I'm like, man, I brought this up last year. I don't understand why we're using the stupid spreadsheet. I don't understand. And he's like, whoa, 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 calm down. He's like, I, because this is happening now and I haven't had time to do anything formal. 
I'm sending out the spreadsheet so everybody feels like they have a say, but the only people that are going to be in this ranking board are the chiefs in charge of those first classes. I'm like, oh, thank God. And he goes, and he's <laughs> like, I'm not even, I'm not even inviting them. And they're like, they get a voice, but it's not equal to that of the chiefs that represent them. And we're going to do But it. what were they using to grade then? If they I didn't don't have know. And I don't know that it was, it was, it was a band-aid, but like it was, I, he, I told him, he's like, I agree with you. I love your idea. We need to do that. But we are where we are right now. And I'm just like, oh, come on. But this but is like, the formalized I, type of training that we need. Yeah. And we need to start doing it early you know, because we see it time and time again. Yeah, it drives me nuts. But I like, because it's like, that's how you, because you talk about truth and reporting. And even if you do spend three hours doing a robust, argumentative, flavored ranking board, it's like, it's not. It's probably not accurate because you how did you know like you're going off like some feeling you have based off of cursory interactions with a sailor instead of their actual performance like you might not like the kid's attitude based on the one or two interactions you've had with him but he might have been lighting the world on fire for the last 12 months and maybe right. you just caught him at a bad moment like and you're making your entire evaluation based on that like that's not fair. And that's how you end up with people in the wrong spots. But it uh, is. <laughs> yes. So as far as the they gave examples of Bathsheba syndrome, like modern scandals or what have you, like just examples of people failing ethically. The one that j jumped out was the the Hugh City as a cruiser where there was, a, I think, like four chiefs that got caught up in a yeah four or five adultery like scandal where like people had knowledge of it didn't report it other people were directly involved in it one was a chief that got in trouble for just being stupid drunk and disrespecting an officer like it was just like good order and discipline had completely vanished um for the <laughs> chiefs any respect for the chiefs was completely gone on board that ship and one of the lines that it jumped out of me like i not a big fan of the fact that we're using Navy Times articles, but one of the quotes from um, it was from a retired captain. Uh, and it said he was a former commander of Hugh City and said it just said affairs on the deck plates can't be tolerated because breakups and jealousy start to take a toll on the sailors mission focus. Furthermore, it's virtually impossible to engage in discreet fraternization on board, which means sailors trust in leadership will be affected. And like, that's putting it mildly. It's like even even the perception of favoritism among because like I had the first experience I ever had working in. A, a, I had a staff of primarily female instructors. And I think the student population, I, if I had to guess at when I was at the schoolhouse was 60 percent female. So if there was any just whiff of impropriety or favoritism or anything like I got accused of sleeping with one of my chiefs because she was the number one EP chief at the command. And it wasn't even close. I'm like, you could replace me with 10 people that don't know her. And if they sat down and evaluated all of my chiefs, it's painfully obvious that she's number one. And so I got and I forget what happened, but it was like we were doing something and I hugged all my chiefs. I to this day, like at acceptance, it's you get a hugged in. And then like if I see a chief I haven't seen in a long time, male or female, they're getting a hug unless they tell me no like i there those that's those are my people and so there's a master gunnery sergeant there that was an accepted chief he went through the season when he made gunny in iraq and then 
she was there and for whatever happened i don't know but i hugged her i also hugged him but they decided to call headquarters and report that i was out hugging my female chiefs and all this other crap and so she (laughs) they used that as an example but then they accused her of sleeping with this master guns who was married even though he was legally separated but they he was married and it was it's ridiculous because it's like i what are you trying to accomplish why but like that's how fast it happens but it's like they don't even care if it's true like they they lose that respect so quickly and they're immediately like what is this what is that so it's like i just put myself in this position from then on where it was like i there was no question like i never allowed myself to be in any situations that were even close to being in the vicinity of question see i hate that mentality i do too worse and worse i do too yeah we have so many sailors and you'll hear it all the time like hey let's not close the door if we're in here together hey don't get too close to a female make sure you're not yelling at her and doing things and it becomes this like you're gonna get an eo complaint if you do all these 70 things so i don't think for me anyway the way that i navigate it is like there's hills i'm willing to die on and there's hills i'm not so i will take those types of precautions even though i think they're stupid certain at certain times where i think that they're appropriate but at the same time like i had female (laughs) officers the whole time i was there and then i had enlisted female sailors on the last deployment i did that came tad just because they needed to get quals done stuff and they were all awesome like i had zero issues but at the same time it was like there were some precautions put in place to like make sure that cause we didn't have, they did do like a mod on submarines where to make the birthing area separate and all this other crap. But it was like, it became like a non issue. And then when there were disciplinary issues or whatever, like, I don't care. Like I'm going to destroy somebody just like an, any other sailor. If that, like, I'm not going to not yell at a, a female sailor, but yell at a male sailor. Like, uh, uh-uh, I don't care. Cause that's, that's different. That's like me compromising my ability to lead and, and like right. jeopardizing my, my credibility with my, the rest of my sailors. I'm not doing that. Um, uh, and if somebody has got a problem with that, I don't care. Like I'll, I'll stand at a NJP and defend myself as the ship sinks. If that's what we're doing, like, I don't care. But <laughs> the, uh, there's definitely stuff where it's like, I don't, I was more concerned with like other people's perception of, and it's like, but then so I had how many? I had one, two, three female chips. So it's like if I went into my office as the SEL back then and closed the door behind my three female chiefs, that's a chiefs meeting. I don't care how anybody feels about it. Like I'm not worried about closing that door at all. And even I would even go so far as to as long as I'm not having a daily meeting with the same female chief every single day with the door closed, then it's like I don't care. It's a chief. It's I'm right. closing the door. I don't care. But like, yeah, I mean, other instructors, stuff like that, like that, probably, I don't know. It depends on the situation, which I agree that it's like, it's kind of ridiculous that you have to function that way to protect yourself from somebody behaving unethically by accusing somebody of something you're not doing just to like get back at you because you didn't give them an EP or something like because we had a couple of like that one female chief that was my number one EP got investigated because of an accusation that was completely unfounded by a enlisted female instructor that just didn't like her 
And yeah, I'm when it comes like... when it comes to situations like that, all I can do really is laugh. Sometimes it's just how ridiculous it is. As long as you know, at the end of yeah. the day, you did nothing wrong. It's like, all right. Oh sure. yeah. Wait. Um, <laughs> you can um, fight this battle if you want. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I don't. I and that's just the thing. It's like I just won't put myself in a situation where I can't feel that way. You know what I mean? Like, I'll go down with the ship if you're gonna bring the ship down because of nothing like if because i did nothing wrong like and you just decided that whatever it was looked so bad that i need to be sacrificed okay like <laughs> i'll sleep like a baby i don't care as long as i feel like i did my job and i took care of my sailors like i'm never gonna like regret any of the decision making that happens because i caught an eo complaint and they decided and they warped something into uh into something that it wasn't and then decided to I don't know, end my career, send me home, retire me early, whatever. Yeah. I can't imagine it happening or I think, I mean, I guess it would have happened already, but, but yeah, I think the, just the, you lose, you can very easily and quickly lose that respect. So that's why I, like even fraternization when like I had a instructor that we had a new site director come in and one of my instructors had served with him previously and they got along really well. So it, it was to the effect of after work, they would leave the building together, shoot, shoot the breeze in the parking lot and then go meet each other at the gym every day. And it's like a yeah. first class and a, a warrant officer. I'm like, no. And like, you're like, you're <laughs> signing as eval, sir. Like, no, you can't do that. And the whole schoolhouse was not like up in arms about it. Like this can't happen. And so that, I mean, I did what I was supposed to do and talked to my CMC and the captain came down and made a special trip just to counsel him and blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, I, you can't do that stuff. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of where the Bathsheba syndrome comes into play. Cause you're creating these sloppy cultures, whether it's yeah. sexism, racism, frat, favoritism, whatever the case may be. But doing some of the research on this, I found it interesting how when it comes to the inability to cope with success and the amount of research there is on right. there, uh, there's there's so much research out there that whether you're morally and ethically sound or not, right. as you're progressing through these levels of success and when you're building personal relationships and doing all these other things, every senior leader is susceptible and will right. act unethically in some type of manner, but the course correcting yourself and making sure that's coming from yeah. the top down is, you know, a different story. And that's I, where we need to yeah. be accountable. I hope it's not will, you know what I mean? Like, I hope it's not like, cause I feel <laughs> like as I've risen through the ranks, I've found myself, I feel like I was more susceptible when I was a younger chief. I feel like now that I'm in the positions that I'm in, it's like I'm less and less. Like, I think less and less of myself. Like, I'm less and less of a big deal in my own mind. And I don't know if it's just because I manage it and I have lots of conversations and people like to like my wife reminds me all the time. I'm just a dude. <laughs> and it's like I I don't I hope that like I don't end up in a in a cob role where I'm effectively a command master chief and then I lose my mind. You know what I mean? Like that would be super crappy. No, um, I think as long as you're doing that self-reflection and getting feedback and you're yeah. continuing to learn and grow and be open to that, it makes your role as a leader, you know, it just helps you grow. I, I think you fall yeah. into less of those traps if you're willing to be open. Right. Yeah. And I, I do spend a lot of time like I, I, I'm a, I don't even know why, but I'm like a preparedness freak as far as like I, I never feel like I'm ready to do anything. 
mean, that's how I am too. Ever. Like I, I and I, I've learned to manage that neuroses where it's like, I understand that eventually I just, it's like doing something's better than doing nothing. Like I, I need to move. And so it's like, I try to be as prepared as I possibly can be all the time, but I know I won't, you know, I'm always going to be put into a position where could I have prepared more or could I have done something else? Yeah, maybe. But I get to the point where it's like, did I do everything I could? Okay, cool. But I, I spend a lot of time like researching and reading and listening to audiobooks and podcasts and talking to people on this podcast, I think keeps me grounded a lot. I get a lot out of it of having these conversations. So I think maybe like that's kind of what's tethering me to the earth is like that kind of stuff. And I mean, I talk to my wife about it a lot too, where we'll have a lot of conversations about like what happens at her work, what happens at my work, why, or, or, or even like somebody reaching out to me through the podcast that I share all the like types of problems and whatever, and what I'm talking to them about and yeah, right. kind of work through them with her too. So it's like, I, th- I feel like maybe that's what, kind of keeps me as grounded as I am hopefully that it's worked so far so I hope it's because well, yeah, that's, that's what I felt I felt like when I read the article they were almost saying that the more success you have that it's like inevitable and I'm just like to be tempted or for it to happen because I'm hoping it's not inevitable that it just happens because then it's like it's almost like the movie's ending is already written you know it's like I don't like that at all I think it is <laughs> but to varying degrees and then there's yeah. also the Dunning, uh, the Dunning Kruger effect. So, like mm-hmm. on a basic level, humans just overestimate their own abilities. So, if you if you take thirty of your junior sailors and you say, "Hey, rank yourself out. Where do you fall out?" and twenty of them are like, "I am definitely within the top five. <laughs> it's just you almost can't help it. Like it's, yeah. it's this basic human reaction. I don't know where it comes from. And this is the same yeah. with the, the inability to cope with success on some I levels. I don't know. I, like, and that's, what's weird is it's like, am I, am I setting a trap for myself by not realizing that that's something like that's real? Because I would, I think that like, I would probably rank myself pretty appropriately. And I'm not saying that like, I wouldn't say I'm number one if I thought I was, cause I would, but at the same time, like I know when I like, and it's just based on my experience in the Navy and like understanding how the ranking system works that like when I check into a new submarine, I know I'm not number one. Like if we're talking about like formal rankings, like I know where I stand and it's not number one until I have time to qualify the things and establish myself and do all the stuff. Yeah, exactly. But you've had those, you've had leaders or someone throughout your life help you making these decisions to yeah. be able to receive that feedback and not everybody has that ability. Right. That's fair, I guess. So one bad apple, uh, although there is the accountability to ourselves as individuals to do the right thing as a chief, it is not just the individual chief who suffers when one does wrong, which is kind of what we focused on earlier with trust. Mm-hmm. What's said in the mess stays in the mess is a message that <laughs> describes how we can disagree and have differences as a functional mess free to provide input to the process and come out in unity. It is not permission to cover our tracks, provide blind loyalty and violate our ethical obligations to the Navy, our sailors and ourselves. Uh, You first. (laughs) How do you feel about the slide? I hate that it needs to be written down and that we have to say that out loud. But the number one perception you hear from junior sailors is that we sweep stuff under the rug in the mess. Right. And it breaks my heart. And yes, does it sometimes happen? Absolutely. 
But if you can't see behind that closed door or you don't have mentors explaining to you what the mess is actually about, of course, that's going to be the perception, especially yeah. when we have stories like Hugh City and stuff in the news. Right. Right. <laughs> and oh, one thing that really bothers me, and I'm not a SME on this whatsoever, and I really want to find out more and give training to sailors, is that there's different varying degrees to discipline based off your rank. And the CO only has so much authority. So what junior sailors are seeing as results of captain's masks and setting precedents for certain disciplinary actions, whether you did drugs or you got drunk, yeah. like, the process is completely different for someone E7 and above and for officers. And I think if that was... Okay. So it Let's is and it isn't. It is and it isn't. <laughs> so it's not like are, they're limited in their ability to punish as far as E7 and above goes. Mm -hmm. but they can 100% take a chief to captain's mast. And I think yes. that even the symbolic nature of doing that would be enough to correct a lot of the perceptions that chief discipline doesn't happen and that we get away with things and they're swept under the rug. You know what I mean? Like I, I also am a huge champion of, I think that maybe, maybe not at the CO's level because I understand, I, I guess I kind of understand why they don't do that. But like, I think my Commodore should be able to take my star away. If I'm on a ship and I do something, I get a DUI. I should be, a, I should be a chief the next day. I agree. So I don't, see why that's not real processes and timelines that are drawn I agree. out so yeah no i agree have, that that's what it is right now yeah yeah so if you have that e e7 who went to mass right they're mm. still sitting possibly sitting at the command for months after leaving junior sailors wondering like hey yeah they got moved to a different department but they're still right. over there leading because we only have yeah. so many personnel so what happened <laughs> well and to argue the other side of it it's like mm -hmm. I think something that gets missed when a chief does something stupid, right? So like, and Jeff Bayless is a great example of his story where he ultimately, there's a lot of other things that played into it. And if you haven't heard the evolution episode, go listen to it. It's, it, it, he's got an incredible, crazy story um, that it, it ended up making him a better human being. And I, I love him to death and I'm, and I'm glad he's my friend, but what ended up actually getting him in trouble and jeopardized his career and, and got took him from the officer ranks back to enlisted as a chief is uh, that he got a DUI and he got a DUI because he made a bad decision as a result of a lot of other things that were going on. But the part that I think gets missed a lot of times when there's chief misconduct, because there's some of it that I think is inexcusable and should probably result in people ending their careers and, and going mm -hmm. home and, figuring out what civilian life's going to look like. But there's also times where a chief gets in trouble and there's a, a ton of things that come out in the investigation where it's like you get to examine this human being's life and thought process and all these things. And you figure out that they had a lot of things going on and they, they just like junior sailors and they didn't deal with it well because it, it's personal stuff and it's, it's a lot harder to navigate personal trauma than it is to navigate like hard stuff at work right so you're not always going to make the best decisions when it's your life that's on fire so when that happens it's like do they need to be held accountable yes if a senior chief gets a dui i think they should be a chief the next day i all of those things almost universally i'll agree with however i don't think that that now chief should be 
completely excommunicated from the mess and not allowed to be a chief in a leadership position ever, ever again either because they made right. one mistake after 18 years of honorable service to their country, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I think that they need to be able to rehab their image and reclaim themselves just like everyone else. And I got a lot of really great examples of those people in my life as a result of this podcast, like Jason and uh, like BMC, Jason Thompson, BMC, Jeff Bayless. There's guys like that that had crazy stuff happen in their life. Um, Jason's was less disciplinary, more mental health struggle related, but it's like, it doesn't mean that they're, they're not able to do it anymore. It means that they had to go through a process of reclamation and healing. And then they came out the other end better for it. Like I guarantee both of those guys were better chiefs after that stuff happened. And I'm not, again, I'm not advocating for a guy to go out and get a DUI or, or whatever, but I'm just saying like the sailor that has that type of an experience in that leadership position. So if a chief gets in trouble, gets held accountable, and then comes out the other end of it. And yeah, maybe they get moved to a different position because whatever, or they go to a different unit or, or what have you. And that reputation falls on. It's like, you have to go through the process of that reclamation and you have to learn from those things. And to me, the best way of doing that is openly discussing it kind of like Jeff did, but is, is talking about, look, like I did this stupid thing and these are the things I learned from it. And these are the things that you could learn from it. And if any of you ever want to talk to me about it, come see me just being open and honest about it. That's how you kind of rehab that where, so that like a bunch of junior sailors aren't just kind of sharing that story through the grapevine of how that's the DUI chief and nobody Mm -hmm. respects him or, or listens to anything he says and that he's ineffective as a result. And that's the reflection on the chief's mess and all the things that get said. It's like that chief could make the decision to rehab their image and rehab their, their credibility by, sharing the lessons learned and openly sharing that experience because I can tell you much like Reddit, I get on there and I post a podcast and somebody decides that I'm a big idiot that doesn't know what I'm talking about, or I'm a senior chief that can't be trusted. A whole bunch of Redditors that actually listen to the podcast generally come to my defense before I even get a chance to engage in conversation with the the person that's saying I'm a big idiot. And so I think you'd see a lot of the same thing. Like the sailors that work for that chief would be like, uh, 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 like that dude is legit. Like he come sit down and listen to his story. Cause he'll openly tell it to right. you. He teaches us all these leadership lessons as a result of that trauma and blah, blah, blah. So I think yeah, this I is think, a good example of the type of conversations that go on in the mess too. If you want like a yeah. peek behind the curtain, we were just right. talking about this the other day. Uh, Cause you have some, commanding officers who have the one and done DUI policy and some who don't. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were debating within the mess on what recommendations to make specifically because of that. Right. If we have a junior sailor, cause we know that we all <laughs> did stupid stuff. A lot of us right. have already been to mast right. and we needed that experience to come back from it and learn and grow and just making those decisions to help officers set those standards and instructions is, a large part of what happens within yeah. this. Yeah. And I, I should have gotten a DUI at some point. I just didn't get caught. So to be fair, like there's a whole bunch of us out there that don't oh, have yeah. DUIs or don't have, I should have went to mass for insubordination at least once, but I didn't because I had chiefs that would rather invest in me and, and explain it to me over and over again, even though I'm bullheaded and stubborn. It's like I, I they just decided that the path they were going to take with me was beating their head against the wall until I figured it out, um, which God bless them for that. But yeah, I think a, a lot of the stuff, it's like th- those conversations need to be had and they need to be had with those 
NJP authority type officers because when they go into that mass, it's like, where'd they get their one and done policy from? And like, because mm-hmm. I, I don't think a one and done policy should even exist because everything is case by case. And that's another thing that like junior sailors don't really perceive when they see NJPs happen because they they don't get to read the, the preliminary inquiry. Right. Like when, I, when I'm a, a PIO and I'm doing the investigation, I get to see and learn and read and like I review documentary evidence. I interview people. I do all these things. And it's like, so I have the whole picture when I'm done and I'm making a recommendation to that officer on whether or not it's, it's more likely that he did it or didn't do it or she. And then they go based on all the evidence and, and my investigation and my recommendation, they make a judgment based on all those things. And there'll be a DRB package in there. Usually there might, there'd be an XOI. So there's, it's not just my opinion, but usually they don't have any of that information. So it's like, they just think that sailor X did this thing and they should get crucified for it or not. Right. And it's, they're never the exact same thing. They appear to be on the surface, but they're the, there are always different circumstances, reasons, motivations, blah, 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 that things happen. And so the punishments are going to be different based on that full picture. And people think it's like just playing favorites or whatever. It's like, I don't think we'll ever escape that because <laughs> it's like, it's not ever going to be appropriate to release all the details. Exactly. The yeah. So. And, and that's, that's part of it too. There's just some things that you can't share with everyone and all the time, but going back right. to the, for your opinion on what's said in the mess stays in the mess. I hear, and I have so many discussions with sailors that we are blindly loyal to our chiefs yeah. simply because we have anchors. And it infuriates yeah. me, but sometimes it's really hard to get the point across when someone's yeah. set on that mentality. What's your yeah. opinion on that? It is. I agree that it is incredibly difficult to convince uh, junior sailors that that's generally not what's happening. Again, like you said earlier, it's not that it never happens. Otherwise, the stereotype wouldn't exist. And I think it probably happened a, a little more in the past than it does now. And I can't say for sure because I made chief in 2011. So that's my context. I know what happened from 2011 until right now. And I can't speak to anything but hearsay from chiefs that I talked to that made chief before that. Right. But I think back in the day, air quotes, it probably (laughs) seemed to happen more because in good messes that Cobb or CMC and those senior chiefs were handling it in the mess And when we say handling it in the mess, we think of something completely different because I got my soul crushed when I did something stupid when I was a junior chief. And it's not that like so accountability was happening. The crew didn't see it and it wasn't formal because I was I didn't do anything that merited NJP. But I think back then things that would merit NJP today, the CMC was telling the CO, don't worry, Skipper, I'll handle it. Who knows? Maybe he got smacked around. Maybe they destroyed his soul in some other way. But I would imagine that in good messes that accountability was happening, whatever that looked like. And then in bad messes, maybe it wasn't. And maybe they were sweeping it under the rug. And maybe that's why that stereotype exists. But that's a lot of maybes. As far as present day, I think I think you and I are doing the best thing we can possibly do right now. Like having these types of discussions being willing to have these types of discussions, especially with junior sailors. It's like, how many chiefs do I have to bring on this podcast to have these types of conversations before sailors will believe it? And I've had a lot of junior sailors 
I feel like the perception that we are sweeping things under the rug by utilizing a mantra like that is more of like it's like an easy button for expressing their frustration and mm-hmm. um, just like fatigue with the things the mess are doing wrong. Right. Because I've had sailors kind of express those types of stereotypical criticisms of the mess. But then when I actually get them to have a conversation with me, they're like, yeah, well, I know there's chiefs doing it right. And there's you know, like so they start to, <laughs> to concede that there is nuance to it. Right. In general, though, when I hear what's what's said in the mess stays in the mess, it makes me cringe because I don't know anyone that thinks it means describing how we can disagree and have differences as a functional mess free to provide input to the process and come out in unity like I just don't. That's not what it means. Like, that's not how that (laughs) phrase was conceived. Is that how it's being exercised in real life today in a manner of speaking? Sure. But I think that that's somebody repackaged that to mean something else because it sounds better. And it's like you should have just deleted it, much like mm. the term initiation, in my opinion. Like it's just we it's too late. We soiled that already. It needs to go away. <laughs> we need to we need to call it something else that's equally aligns with the vision and or the mission vision and guiding principles and, and keep yes. it moving it's like shipmate like i was having a conversation on on the that joint base where um like soldiers say uh battle buddy and airmen say uh wingman or wingwoman and mm-hmm. so they all have like a term like that and uh uh so they like soldiers they they say battle buddy but they'll say like battle they're like what's up battle and then like that's like their shipmate right and then right. Uh, marines i think say shipmate sometimes but i also think they say like uh killer or something like that or they have a couple of like slang ones i think and if i'm if i'm butchering i've never this, heard them say shipmate but i'll take your I, word for I, it for yeah now. i don't i don't think it's common i think it's more of like a weird I don't know. I'm probably butchering it. If there's Marines out there that are like vomiting on their desk right now, just reach out and tell me how stupid I am. But I think they, cause I, I again, I mean, I, I hung out with that master guns all the time and I saw him interact with some Marines, but that was the, I mean, he would, he would say, uh, like when he would walk out of a room, I'd be like, I'd be like, see you later, man. He'd go kill and then walk out. <laughs> and then like, uh, um, so I think they had, they have something. I, and I'm not sure what it is, but they, every, everybody's got one. But I don't think you're ever going to rehab the term shipmate into not being a little cringeworthy. I just don't think well, it's going to happen. Well, and I've, I've seen it happen gradually, and I think that sometimes the term chief is also used the same yeah. way. And oh, yeah. it's like soul crushing just to hear it when it's used yeah. like a curse word. It's like, whoa, <sighs> let's have a conversation. <laughs> What's the yeah. background here? What's going on? Yeah, I think we. I think we've gotten to a point where we're teetering on the edge of losing control of that type of messaging and like, the, like rehabbing the reputation that she says, like it's, I, and I don't, I hope I'm blown out of proportion, but I don't think I am just based on the conversations I've had. Cause it's not just me that thinks this way. I feel like every chief I talk to and bring on the podcast and junior enlisted all tell me the same thing. So I can't imagine I'm making this stuff up in my head or that maybe I just think it's worse than it is or something like that. But well, yeah. I've, and when the, the conversation started happening about changing the season and initiation and, you know, turning it into a formalized training. Yeah. 
originally I th- I first thought that that wasn't going to be a good idea because of how proud I am with some of those historical yeah. pieces that we keep. But I think we can right. keep those and do. I agree. A, a standardized leadership training. Yeah. For the chief selects that makes us come out better and more unified. I a thousand percent agree with you. Like I, I've had since all, I mean, God, since probably 2013, I've been having that type of conversation. Like, why is this so different everywhere I go? Like, why do I not hear and do the same things? And why do, and like me and Nick talked about, like, there should be like those types of heritage things. Like if I were to come hang out with you during the season, I would expect to hear about Shannon Kent. Right. And I might yes. not expect to hear about her during a season at a submarine command. I would ex- maybe because she's still a chief. Right. And we're doing chiefs initiation. So it's mm-hmm. like maybe. But I would expect to hear about uh, the submarine heroes. Like I would expect to hear about the submarine chiefs that and submarine heritage. Right. Right. But also chiefs heritage. Like I like to talk about a lot of non submarine chief stuff. But um, but yeah, like, and then you go to an EOD community and you hear about something EOD specific. Like I expect them to have a lot of pride in that community heritage as well. Um, and I'd like those things to be built into their chief season because I think we're the keepers of, of heritage. Like I, right. I think that that makes a lot of sense, but yeah, I think there should be a pretty, like an 80% product that everybody's operating on. So like, I still recognize it when I go to wherever, which mm-hmm. I feel like I at this point I've experienced seasons at like five different commands because I've went to visit a few times. So like I did some with a couple of surface units when I went to visit one of my old instructors and surprise her for her final night in pinning. And then that was last year. And then uh, so I got to spend final night and and pinning with those guys. So I didn't spend the whole season with them, but right, I got to spend that time with them. Uh, I did it with a recruiting district once. I did it with... Uh, and that was with like uh, my instructor staff that was a mix of surface sailors and, and submariners. And then I did it on two different submarines and now I'm doing it at the commandment now. And so it's like, it's never been the same. Like it's been similar in some ways, but it's never been the same. And so it's like, I, I feel like there should be a formalized 80% product that I think a lot of it, like a lot of that formal instruction should be done by people at like Enlick. Like, I don't think it should be all just the command, like the command chief should be very involved. Sure. But I don't think it should all be on them. I think that the, there should be formal leadership development and education that happens yes. from an entity like Enlick. And I mm-hmm. love the concept. I'm hoping the resources get thrown behind it and it gets spun up in the way that, uh, that they envision so that those types of things happen. Let's see. That's uh, from the one bad apple thing. I mean, their their last line here is just ultimately chief petty officers have a job to do, not a job to keep, which I thought was kind of a pretty it was a pretty good line. Um, I I didn't necessarily agree with you. Uh, really, I, I agree with the line. However, I don't think one of the things that they touch on in teaching to the creed is how you do that. So uh, there's a little bit yeah, of discussion. The, I mean, about. let's talk about it. Like the, so yeah, I, I, cause I liked the line because to me it means like, regardless of, uh, I'm not concerned about promotion. I'm not concerned about my eval. I'm not concerned about awards. I'm not concerned about any of those things. Like I'm concerned mm-hmm. about doing my job, taking care of, taking care of sailors. Like I'm not worried about keeping it. 
as far as like, if I got to go stand in the CEO state room and tell him he's being a big idiot, then that's what I'm going to do. And maybe that affects, he's my reporting senior. So maybe that affects my eval, but it was still the right thing to do. And it shouldn't affect my eval. If that CEO is, is doing his job the right way, he should be happy that I came in a state room and told him that because that's my job and I'm doing it, not trying to keep it. So that's kind of the way I read that was that we should spend more time doing our job, regardless of our concern for, the reputational piece or the career progression and advancement piece. And, uh, and like also I, when I kind of saw that not a job to keep too, I almost like the kind of like the sweeping stuff under the rug. Like it's not, that's not what we do. That's not how we do it. So it's like, do your job. Don't worry about keeping it. Like, I don't know. That's how I read it. How did you read it? I did. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So well, when I read that line specifically, I kind of thought of someone who makes chief and then it's kind of like, oh, here I am. <laughs> That's yeah. all I needed to I've do. Arrived. And then I'm going to yeah. quit. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, flipping your anchors and, you know, stomping your feet. I am the chief. <laughs> yeah. You will listen to me. And That's not how it goes. Yeah. I didn't get it that out of it, but I, that concept, I... I understand. And that's another reason why I am such a proponent of the chief should be allowed to lose rank at a lot closer to home than court martial, because the chiefs that do that, that are like their goal was to make chief and then shut it down and retire. It's like, you can't do that because if you get, if you get found negligent or you get found to be uh, performing at a level that like merits disciplinary action, you could end up retiring a first class if that was a reality. And so that's why I'm such a proponent of it is like you, you, those chiefs that either make it or that like they make it and shut it down or they make it and they're doing well, but then they realize they're never going to make senior chief or they're a senior chief. That's never going to make master chief or whatever. And when they get close to 20, they just put on roller skates and call it a day. Those chiefs can't get away with doing that anymore because there's a risk to their pension going down. And, (laughs) and I mean, you're, I guess you're going to breed a little bit of that out with the whole blended retirement system eventually, but it's like, you don't have that handcuff anymore where it's like, oh, well, you know, he can just sit there and mouth breathe and get get his retirement at the same pay grade, no matter what he Mm -hmm. does. So why would he put in he or she put any, in any effort at this point in their career? And that disgusts me because I've had sailors from the through the platform reach out and talk to me about that type of a command uh where it's like there's a whole bunch of chiefs that just went there to to retire and they are putting in zero effort and not taking care of their divisions but all these first classes and second classes didn't they're just in the middle of their career trying to get after it and they don't have any mess support and that just yeah that's heartbreaking too yeah i'm on i i i'm on fire when i have those conversations i just like that infuriates me um, yeah. I was doing a little bit of reading prior to the topic, and one of the articles that I read said that an ethically sound leader does two things, and that's inspire others by acting ethically and leading through personal example, and then communicating our organizational standards, such as the creeds and the Navy ethos, mm-hmm. and promoting that ethical behavior. But in order to do that, too, our sailors are going to need to start and and we as the mess and our officers are going to need to challenge our leaders and hold them accountable. Make sure that you're, you're focusing on that self-reflection and able to receive feedback. And then you need to keep learning and seeking out mentorship and challenging the status quo. All of that kind of gets rolled up into one thing. 
And it's yeah. not it's not an easy feat to just say there's only one thing. I marinated on this for a while. Like, where does the breakdown begin when yeah. it comes to ethical decision making? And I think the Bathsheba syndrome article and the Dunning Kruger effect, like reading more on those, how there's some things that are inherent within us yeah. as people, like the cause of slow breakdowns. I see, but as a Navy, I think when it comes to like promoting our values a little better. I think that's a good place yeah. to start. I like it. Well, I think it's also a natural place to end. We have covered everything and I will wrap it up in the summary, <laughs> but you got any uh, save rounds or alibis? I don't. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. No, thank you. I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I definitely did. Uh, quickly, just going to recap the excerpt that we talked about today. It is now required that you be the fountain of wisdom, the ambassador of goodwill, the authority in personal relations, as well as in technical applications. Ask the chief is a household phrase in and out of the Navy. You are now the chief. The exalted position you have achieved and the word exalted is used advisedly exists because of the service, character and performance of the chiefs before you shall exist only as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards. That last line. (laughs) and I talked about it in the episode is by far and away my favorite because I think it's the most important is that all of the things that we talk about all of the the mantras and the principles and the things that we've built the chief's mess on good or bad only exist as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards or don't so the negative things that we associate with the chief's mess and the junior sailors associate with the chief's mess exist only as long as we fail to maintain these standards and the good things that we're that we're trying to champion constantly or that we should be striving to be the things that we work towards in ethical decision making and just ethical leadership principles they only exist as long as all of the chiefs maintain these standards so it's not just a one but it starts with one because the collective is built out of a bunch of individuals so it's very very important that you take the time to let that sink in and and really think about what that means everything that we talk about it's all built on our ability to function inside the construct of this organization and the foundational principles that it's built on and if we're not doing that it's all going to fall apart with that, if you need anything from us, as always, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us, don't give up the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram or Reddit at DGS Podcast or get on the sub and, and talk to us there. Uh, always happy to have a dialogue and really, really want feedback on all of the Teaching of the Creed episodes. So please uh, let us know how we did, how we can do it better next time if you think we missed something, etc. And then lastly, but probably... I mean, in the podcast universe anyway, (laughs) most importantly, please like, share, subscribe and review on all the platforms for all the things for podcasts on your social media platforms, whatever it's it's this only works. This teaching of the creed supplement only works and only helps if it gets out there to all the people that need it. So if you have a platform, even if you've got one follower, like please share it and then like like subscribe, review all the things because then all the little algorithms for all of the processes will promote the podcast and get it out to the people that need it. So uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And with that, that's all I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. <laughs>